Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to do Q&A. Questions you asked, I'm going to answer them. I did a Q&A on my Instagram stories today, and you guys had a ton of great questions. I'm going to try and answer all of them. Um, I'm going to limit it to 15 because there were so many. I might have to do a part two. Um, if you guys like this episode, let me know, but uh, hold tight and we'll get into it. So let's start with an update first. I just released Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, which is my new book. It's available on Amazon along with the other book, Chef's PSA, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen. So if you want to support us, go buy those books. I appreciate it. Um, I'm really happy with this book. There's great content in there. I think I announced on Instagram that I was going to write a book and I started thinking to myself, I'm going to post it so it'll force me to write it. From the point in time which I announced it to the point in time which it was published, I think it took me about three months. It's about 150 pages, but it's like focused. I sat down with a lot of coffee, took some alpha brain, and I just sat there and I just typed and I talked. And sometimes I talk into the mic and then it, and it types that. I just talk into the mic and it types for me. So that helps me out. But anyway, long story short, the book is out. I think you'll enjoy it. Of course, there's more I could have covered in the book, but I wanted to make sure that I had something for chefs when you're just getting into the position and you need to understand kind of what the basic mechanics are of being the head chef, the executive chef, the chef de cuisine, maybe an executive sous chef. This is the information that you need. This is the information that I wish I had when I got my first you know, senior leadership role. So I documented it. I gave it to you. Get the book. If you get the book, which you should, make sure you leave a review, give it five stars, anything less than five stars. There's plenty of terrible books out there that you could leave less than five star reviews on. So my book is five stars. Anyway, first question, let's get into it. By the way, this is going to be fun. I really enjoyed this. These are really great questions. So thank you all for participating and sending some great questions. There was a ton and I doubt I'm going to be able to answer all of them. I tried to limit it to only 15 questions so I could stay you know, in that sweet spot time limit that I like to have the podcast no more than 25 minutes, but hopefully we won't go over that. Anyway, first question, who do I think is the best chef? That's a good question. There's a lot of great chefs out there. For me personally, if I had to say if there was just one chef that I believe is the greatest chef, I believe that chef to be Chef Thomas Keller for a few reasons. Number one, obviously his literature. He's prolific. The French Laundry Cookbook, Per Se, Bouchon, Bouchon Bakery, etc., etc. I think he's written some of the best cookbooks ever. And I, I think I did a video about this not too long ago. I think the best cookbook right now for me is the French Laundry Per Se, which I, I love that book. But let's just put the being a prolific writer aside. As far as being a chef, I think he has the most Michelin stars of any chef in the United States. So six Michelin stars, three for Per Se, three for the French Laundry, uh, a couple of other for Bouchon, I believe. But anyway, so he's got a tremendous amount of Michelin stars. But I also think he's created the most successful chefs as a mentor. You know, he is one of the founders of Mentor BKB, an organization which, you know, promotes um, someone to go and compete in the Bocuse Dior. He coached the first Bocuse Dior winner from the United States, Chef Matthew Peters. He mentored chefs like Grant Ackett's and so many others, you know, uh, Corey Lee, Corey Chow, all these great chefs that I admire and admire them for their skills. Thomas Keller has created so many great chefs, Chef David Breeden, the chef at the French Laundry, Philip Tessier, the first chef, 
to get on the podium from the United States when he placed silver in the Bocuse d'Or um, two years prior to Matthew Peters winning gold. So if you think about legacy and you think about a chef that's created more great chefs, a chef that has, you know, great restaurants and a chef that's, you know, has some of the most impactful culinary literature that exists. I, I don't think there's a better chef than Thomas Keller in that category. And of course, you know, when it comes to the perfection that he has and, you know, so many kitchen habits that you see in so many top end kitchens right now, like cutting the tape straight, you know, the green tape everywhere, all of that began with him. So give credit where credit is due. I think Thomas Keller is the absolute best. He's the king of chefs and the chef of kings. He is the Escoffier of our generation. So by the way, I'm, I'm listing an American chef because I live in the United States. And so it's, it's close to home before everyone comes at me and say, what about Alain Ducasse or, you know, Paul Bocuse or et cetera, et cetera. You asked me the question. Anyway, next question. Would you ever do TV? Hmm. It's a tough question to answer because a lot of the shows I'm not a big fan of, and I've had opportunities to do TV before. And by the way, I used to have a web series called Run the Pass, uh, where I'd go around interviewing chefs. You could find it online. And it was kind of my entry into, you know, having a camera crew follow me around and, and do stuff like that. I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it was like the end all be all, but a lot of the cooking shows, like I'm, I, I gotta be blunt. I don't like sucker shit. And a lot of those shows, like to me, it's, it's kind of sucker shit. Like, you know, here's a bag of Doritos, figure it out. I don't do that. I'd, I'd get pissed and, and probably walk off and say, don't insult me. Uh, and don't insult the audience. Like I don't, um, uh, I'm not big on doing clowny things. It's it's just not my style. I'm a pretty serious chef. But I've had opportunities. A couple of years back, my PR manager wanted me to go on Top Chef. And uh, one of my friends talked me out of it and said, you know, why would you go on Top Chef? You have more to lose than you have to gain. And I said, well, you know, PR recognition. And they said to me, well, what would you get out of it? I said, I don't know. He says, your own restaurant? I said, yeah. He says, well, you got that. So why would you go on Top Chef for it? He says, you run a, a bigger risk of losing that restaurant if you take time away to go on TV. It made sense to me then, so I never tried out. But I would say I, I do admire that, that show. I like Top Chef. You know, several of my friends have been on Top Chef. Several of my friends have won Top Chef. And it's, it's one of the few cooking television programs that I think when someone wins that show, I, I consider them to be legit. But here's a quick story. Someone asked me, if I wanted my own show one time and I, I said, sure, let's, let's talk. And I set up an interview with a casting producer and I didn't know what it was about, but you know, during the interview, they explained to me that they were looking to create, you know, the next big food show. And they said after Anthony Bourdain passed away, that there's a big void in television that no one has really filled that gap. And they were looking for the next superstar and they were specifically looking for someone from Texas. I happened to be in Texas. So uh, I caught their attention. And so, you know, I went through the interview. I didn't know what to expect. They're like, do you get mad in the kitchen? I was like, shit, what do I say? I was like, sometimes, uh, sometimes I get mad. Sometimes I don't like, I could be stern, but I'm really nice at the same time. You know, I'm, I'm trying to play, uh, both sides to hopefully get in with them. I wasn't sure, you know, I was, I was playing it up for the, uh, for the interview. But at one point during the interview, I asked him, I said, you know, why me? Why did you reach out to me? There's, there's plenty of chefs out there that you could have reached out to. 
And their answer was interesting. They said, because we follow you on Instagram. And this is not, this is my personal Instagram, not Chef's PSA. They said, we follow you on Instagram and you're always smoking cigars and drinking old fashions and talking shit and listening to rap music and posting jokes. And they said, all the other chefs, and I'm calling out a lot of other chefs with this, they just post boring stuff all the time. It's just food, 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 food. You're the only one doing something different. And so it caught our attention. Anyway, long story short, I didn't get the job. I didn't end up uh, getting that show, which honestly, I have no idea what show it is because when I look at all the shows now, I'm like, I wonder which show it was that I would have been auditioning for because I had no clue. But what I found interesting is that what grabbed their attention was the fact that I was a chef that was not acting like a chef and they, they liked that. So anyway, neither here nor there, but great question. I don't think I would do TV unless it was for the right opportunity. Right opportunity usually means for me, no sucker shit and a lot of money. Next question. What will be the biggest food trends? Hmm. Good question. I think there's never been a better time to be your authentic self. I'll be hosting a panel next week um, called cooking your culture. And I'm interviewing chefs that are cooking their culture, you know, whether it's uh, you know authentic Chinese or Mexican, whatever the case may be, right now is the best time to be able to be your authentic self as a chef and really showcase the food that you grew up on with your culinary technical expertise to really make it shine. There's never been another time in my career that I've noticed that as a chef, you could really stay true to yourself and make a name for yourself. You know, you look at the list of people winning the awards, whether it's James Beard, you know, look at people that are getting Netflix specials or all that, you know, people are cooking the food that they enjoy. It's delicious food, but it speaks to who they are authentically. And when I was coming up as a chef, I had to make continental cuisine. That's what we called it back then in order to be taken serious. So I had to cook French, Italian, anything European was going to be taken serious. Anything not European, you weren't going to get noticed. And I'm, I'm Hispanic, but at the time when I was coming up, you know, the people that were getting recognized for cooking Hispanic food weren't even Hispanic. And so I didn't really have anyone that I could look up to and say, oh, they're, they're making great Hispanic food. In addition to that, it was like f Hispanic, you know, Mexican fusion, Southwest cuisine. So it was nothing that I really felt connected to. Um, so that's why I gravitated more towards the fine dining, French, Italian, European style cuisine early on in my career. But I think right now, if you're cooking your cuisine and you're being authentic to yourself, it's the perfect time to be a chef and do you, you know, be you. Of course, good technique always is paramount, but right now you could do you and be successful. That's what I think is the next big food trend is the individual expressing themselves. Next question. Would you rather have talent or skill in the kitchen? Hmm. I'd probably rather have skill. Talent only gets you so far. And I've worked with a lot of people that are extremely talented throughout my career. And I would say like people that I've worked with in my career that are extremely talented, I'd probably count them on a hands, like five people. They're amazing. I just said I work with plenty of people. And then I said five. Anyway, don't judge. Um, and a lot of good people, but like the ones that you say, okay, they got it. They're leagues above everyone else. It's probably only about five people. But the fact of the matter is they weren't always the most successful and the people that were disciplined and focused on the technique and showed up every day, they were more successful sometimes than the talented individuals. And that's not to say that the talented individuals that I worked with were not successful, but sometimes when you're talented, it does let you get a little bit lazy. I had one cook that worked for me 
and um, went on to work in some of the best restaurants in the world um, and was 21 and they were already a sous chef for a restaurant on the world's 50 best. And then they stopped cooking because they got burned out. They lacked focus and discipline. So I would say, you know, the, the question is worded, would I rather have talent or skill? Um, I think I'd rather have skill, discipline, technique over the talent, uh, in my personal opinion. Great question though. Next question, what's the best way to deal with burnout? And I think this is a topic that is much more at the forefront of discussion now than it was when I was coming up in the kitchen. And, you know, I was, I went through years where I was burned out and just, I, I was a chef and I loved being a chef, but I also hated being a chef because of the amount of stress and time it took away from me. I would say the way to deal with burnout is kind of, you know, in the prevention and establishing boundaries. So let's talk about the prevention. The basic things you could do, eat healthy, exercise, meditate, maybe don't go out and party every day, right? Avoid situations and people that are toxic. And and again, everyone's level of, of toxic is different. So what's that level for you? You know what triggers you. So stay away from those situations and stay away from those people. I think that'll avoid a lot of the burnout. So that's the pre-work. But also establishing boundaries and knowing that, hey, I'm going to take my vacation. I need to take my day off. A lot of chefs don't like that when you establish boundaries. I, I know when I was a chef, sometimes I get frustrated when someone said, no, I need my two days off or no, I need this and that and the other. But you know what? I might not have liked it, but I always respected it. So that's something to consider is like, if you bring up that you have boundaries, people will respect it. Like they'll say, can you do it? And if you say no, like the answer is no. I think that's something that needs to be established early on when you get a job, you know, establish that you want this, this day off, or, you know, you want your days off back to back, or you don't like split schedules, whatever the case may be, establish those boundaries. Cause if not, people will take advantage of you. Um, you have to establish the boundaries period. So take care of yourself, your, your mental, your physical, your spiritual meditate, whatever you got to do, but also establish boundaries with the people that you're working with or work for. The next question, is there any tips that I have for staying calm during the rush? Yes. Uh, one, kind of the question that I just answered, the more healthy you are, the better you'll be prepared to deal with difficult situations. So if you are exercising, if you are getting enough sleep, if you are meditating regularly, I think you'll be better prepared to deal with the chaotic service. But specific tips on how to deal with chaotic service is understand that there might be a hundred tickets in front of you, but you can only focus on just a few tickets that are right there. So maybe you can only look at five or maybe it's 10, depending on whatever it is. You can only focus on those. As much as you hear the ticket machine printing in the background, try to focus on what's in front of you, get that out and then get the next batch. That's the way to do it. And the fact of the matter is, no matter how good you are, you could only do so much. So if the tickets are all the way to the floor and everyone's panicking, at the end of the day, it's just food, right? It's, it's just a restaurant. And I hate, I hate to make it sound like that, but you can't crumble in the middle of service. You got to like stop, breathe, look at what's in front of you and say, I could only do what I could do. And I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to work, right? And you're going to do your part and you're going to hope that everyone else is doing their part. You know, I know people have been in situations where, you just need to walk off the line for a little bit, 
go into the walk-in, let out a scream, maybe shed some tears, cry a little bit. That's what walk-ins are for, by the way. They're for crying and storing food. But maybe you need to do that just for a moment and then you go back, you get back after it. So tough days are not gonna go away. But like I said, if you're doing things to take care of yourself ahead of time, it makes those tough services easy. And then when you're in that tough service, just focus on what's in front of you. And even if there's a hundred tickets, like I said, you might only be able to do five at a time. So just focus on five and batch it that way. And then eventually things smooth out. I've seen some disastrous services and I've seen some great services, but as many services as I've seen, I've never seen a cook be able to cook a hundred things at once. It's like, no, you can only handle so many tickets at once. And the person calling out the tickets can't handle a hundred dishes all coming to the pass at the same time, or servers can't handle running a hundred dishes at the same time. So you can only, you can only do what you can only do. The next question is, did you have another podcast? What happened? And yes, I did have another podcast. The other podcast was titled Run the Pass. It's still available on Spotify, Apple, et cetera. And that podcast was me interviewing um, other chefs. And I, I really did enjoy that podcast. I enjoyed uh, speaking to other chefs. I had some great guests on the show. It was more business centric. I decided I wanted to do something different. So that's why I stopped doing Run the Pass. And that was put on by MarketScale, which is a great company out of Dallas. They focus on business to business. So a lot of the podcasts were very business centric. I was interviewing CEOs, et cetera. This one is like for chefs, for cooks. How do you get better? It's more focused on the industry. I'm more passionate about this than I was about always just having the business discussion. I enjoy this a little bit more. That's why I shifted my focus. But yes, I did have another podcast. It was called Run the Pass. It's still available if you want to go listen to those episodes. You could find them on anywhere that you find this podcast. The next question is, what is Magic Chef Juice? So you may have seen this water bottle that I have that says Magic Chef Juice. And uh, let me tell you why. Like when, this is where it came from. This is the story. When I was a, a young cook, um, you know, they would say, hey, chef, go make the magic juice. <laughs> and this is like when drinking was very normal and some places drinking still might be very normal. But, you know, for me, this is like uh, mid nineties. I'm just a cook on the line. I'd go into the liquor cabinet. We'd dump, we'd dump everything um, into a big bucket. We'd pour some juice in there. Everyone would fill their deli cups or whatever. And the food progressively got better throughout the night. I don't know what was going on, but, you know, the more uh, buzzed the, the cooks and the chefs got, the food started to taste better. Um, and so that's kind of a callback to that time in my, in, in my life where we were drinking magic chef juice because the more magic chef juice we drank, the better the food got. Now, I don't condone drinking in the kitchen, but it was a funny story and that's where it came from. So that's the story. Uh, but honestly, those days are over. You shouldn't drink in the kitchen. Nothing good comes out of it. I, I can tell you from experience that every time there's drinking involved in the kitchen, I can't look at a restaurant or, you know, a group of people and say, oh, drinking in the kitchen really worked out well for you. So uh, it didn't work out well for me at that particular job, just so everyone knows, uh, maybe a story for another day, but that's where magic chef juice comes in. So I jokingly say, hey, what's in the, in the bottle? I say magic chef juice. And today, magic chef juice might be your green smoothie. Maybe it's water. Maybe it's apple juice. Maybe it's Red Bull. I don't know what it is. It's magic chef juice. It's up to you to figure out what your magic chef juice is. Anyway, that's the story there. The next question is, why don't I cook or show food on my social? Um, and that's a good question. But the fact of the matter is, it's a lot of work to video edit cooking clips. And I'm cooking at home, right? I, I, I 
am a content creator now. I'm not a professional chef working in a kitchen anymore. So I don't have access to ingredients. I don't have dishwashers. Ingredients are expensive. I'm not going to go buy some Wagyu and, and create a very expensive dish just so I could show everyone I can make an expensive dish on Instagram. It's, it's, just not, um, it's just not what I do now. It's much more practical. And what I'm focused on is uh, teaching, mentoring, giving advice, stating my opinions, talking to the, talking to the, to the chefs and cooks out there and helping them along their journey. And if I create a dish, too many people will focus on that and that's really not the message I'm trying to get out. On my personal social page, on the highlights, I did uh, a couple where I was like, people complain that I don't post enough food pictures. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna post as many food pictures as I can. That way people could stop asking me about food stuff. So um, I think I posted from the current year to like, 2005 and I was like okay there's enough food pictures if you want to see kind of food that I've made and the way I've looked at food and how it's evolved over the last 15 years there you go so don't ask me to post food pictures anymore if you want to see that there you go but there's a lot of chefs out there that you could learn from right go go on masterclass you got some of the the best chefs in the world teaching you how to cook you don't need me to teach you how to cook you need me to teach you how to be a chef that's my job that's that's my calling there's no chef at my level that's doing this for you. So I'm not saying that there's not other chefs that can teach you this. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that no other chef can teach you how to be a good executive chef. But what I'm saying is there's no chefs at my level that are doing it because most likely they're busy running kitchens, right? That's my calling. Next question is, will I have guests on Chef's PSA? Not immediately. It's not something in the cards right now. I... I created this podcast to do it this solo format. I don't know if I want to have guests. If I do ever have guests, it might be one-off special episodes, but I record this in my office at home. So I'm not set up to fly people in and have guests and put them up in a hotel, etc. And I don't really like the quality of the audio when it comes out on Zoom or, you know, over over Skype or something like that. So for right now, I don't have any plans to start including guests. At least right now, not in the foreseeable future. I may change my mind, but as of right now, no, I will not be doing guests anytime soon. Next question. How long did I stay in the industry as a full-time job? And I know I've talked about this before, but I cooked professionally for 27 years. So I went to culinary school in 1995 and I've been cooking ever since. Um, and I stepped away from kitchens in... 2022. So just at the beginning of this year in January, I stepped away to, you know, really focus on Chef's PSA and content creating and mentoring. This is now my full-time job. 27 years in the kitchen, 17 years of those were as an executive chef. Next question. What other books will you write? I've really enjoyed writing Chef's PSA Culinary Leadership Fundamentals. I enjoyed writing Chef's PSA, How Not to Be the biggest idiot in the kitchen. And I think the first book was geared towards, you know, new people, you don't know what to do, you don't know how to behave. And it was also geared towards the executive chef that could give it to the new person or the chef de cuisine and say, here, I don't have time to explain this to you, start here. The second book is geared towards helping people understand the transition of going from, you know, sous chef to executive sous chef or executive sous chef to chef de cuisine, executive chef, basically being the head person in the kitchen or the leader. That was the second book. 
Also giving away some of the strategy and, and tactics that I use in the kitchen. The next book, I would like to write a manual for line cooks and just easy practices like how to organize your prep list or, you know, don't pick up a hot saute pan with a wet towel, you know, things that you might not know. So like what would be your line cook survival manual? That would probably be the title. I'm not sure, but you know, that would, that would be included in that chef's PSA series. And then another one that has come to me recently that I would like to write would be the mindset of a chef. And this one I could probably do a whole podcast on because it is something that I think is really the, the differentiator between chefs and that is the mindset like once you have the fundamentals of cooking it's really all mental after that so how do you have this very sharp disciplined almost samurai like mind and i think you need that to become a chef and all the great chefs have one thing in common and that is this extreme mental discipline so i think that i would like to write a book that's just on the mindset so those would be ideally the next two that I would write um, if I write them. But yeah, I think most likely I'll write them. I, I enjoy writing, so good question. Next question, how can you mentor me? Well, that's, that's a great question. This is what I do. This is my job, technically. You could, um, you could go on chefspsa.com and you could sign up for mentoring services. I do have a couple of slots booked for time, so if people are interested, you could do that. I believe on my Instagram page, um, in the link, you could also find uh, available opportunities. It's something I do. I don't know how long I'll do it because I am busy with mentoring chefs and I don't have all day to do it. But for people that are interested, that does present itself as an opportunity. Um, I could focus on entry-level chefs. So let's say you're a culinary student and you're trying to get into the business. I also focus on executive chefs. I work with executive chefs in a mentorship capacity um, to help them understand the ins and outs when they're new in position to help them succeed. So you don't have to be a chef, but it, it helps because we speak the language. But anyway, chefspsa.com, that's where you want to go. What's next? So I just recorded culinary leadership fundamentals uh, class. So that'll be out soon. That'll be a companion to the book for people that are more visual learners. That'll be available. I'm also part of the Texas Food and Wine Alliance. So we have several events coming up in Austin. And then I, I'm a part, a founding member of El Paso Family Meal, which really focuses on charities in El Paso, Texas, which is my hometown, along with several other chefs. Founder Rico Torres from Michele Restaurant in San Antonio, Gabe Morales, Top Chef winner, Jake Rojas, Omar Flores, uh, for me, Nunez, several others. We are all part of this group of chefs that all were raised in El Paso, Texas. And we go back to raise money and we come together and it's a good time, you know. So if you're in that area and you want to support charities, El Paso Family Mill, you could follow them on, on social. And if you're in that area and you want to get, a, get involved and meet the chefs, there's more information on that social channel of events that we have coming up. So that's also what's next. This is the last question I'm going to answer for the day is, do you want to be a chef again? And that's a very good question. I do miss the kitchen. I, I miss it a lot. And the more time I'm out of it, the more I miss it. And I do get the itch to go back in. A lot of people would say to me when I stepped away, like, oh, you'll be back. You'll be back. It's almost been a year. 
that I haven't been in the kitchen. Uh, I'm missing it. I'm not sure. So right now I could tell you, I'm not going to do it this month. I don't know what next month has in store, but I am enjoying the content creation. I love Chef's PSA podcast. I love writing the book. So I, I love mentoring chefs, but I do miss the grind of the kitchen. There's just something about it um, that's magical and I enjoy it. So I'm not sure. T to be honest with you, that's a very tough question. I'm not sure right now I could answer it. It would take a sweet deal to get me back in, but uh, maybe not. Sometimes I just want to be in the kitchen, so I might do it just if I miss it bad enough. So anyway, that's it for this week. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to hear the other 15 questions that were asked, and I'm sorry to those people that I didn't get to your question, let me know. And uh, maybe I'll do part two of this. If not, I'll go back to the regular format. But I did enjoy this one. This was fun. If you want to support the show, you could follow Chef's PSA on all social media channels. That includes Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, etc. Get the books, Chef's PSA, the two that are out there, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals and How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen. Both have very specific purposes. So if you're new, you want the red book. If you're experienced, you want the black book. If you're smart, you want both. Hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes if you want to support the podcast. Make sure you leave five stars because this is a five-star podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you all very much and hit the porno music. <laughs> <laughs>